Amen. Church, you can have a seat. While you're doing that, um, can we thank Charlie? Charlie is this man. Yeah. <clears throat> Charlie has so graciously stepped in and, and is helping us as we're, as we're looking to officially find a, a worship pastor here at Stone Oak. But he has stepped in and doing a phenomenal job. I'm so grateful. We're going to hold on to him as long as we can. Um, well, church, I am excited about this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in Psalm 13. Here's a disclaimer, though. We have a ride to go on before we get there. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them, uh, get them open to Psalm 13, but know that uh, it'll take us a little bit to get there. So this morning starts a brand new series uh, that we're calling Advent. Now, Advent hopefully is... is um, not a new term to you. If it is, uh, Advent can be described like this, just simply. It is the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. All right, fancy word. That means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Now, uh, the church for century, Advent has been what we have referred to as the four weeks leading up to Christmas. The four weeks leading up to the moment when we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Advent is this season of expectation. Just incredible anticipation. Um, That's what Advent is all about. Uh, As we're going to talk about, Advent causes us to both look back at the birth of our Savior. But Advent also has a way of looking us forward to when our Savior returns. So we're going to do both of those things. It's my favorite season. There's just hope in the air. Our goal through this series is going to be simple. It's to prepare ourselves to celebrate the arrival of our Savior. To prepare ourselves for the, to celebrate the arrival of our Savior. Both looking back at His birth, both looking forward to His return. Uh, this is going to be a series all about Christ. And I'm excited to uh, journey through this as a church I want to start this morning, though, in a very weird way. We're going to look at a huge story, a grand, a massive, massive uh, story. We're going to look at it kind of from a 30,000-foot view of this story. It's a story so big that, that rarely do we take the time to look at it in its entirety. Uh, for most of us, we're familiar with the stories within the story, We're familiar with parts of the story, but we aren't quite sure how to take all those parts and to bring them together into the one grand, incredible uh, story. We know about David and Goliath, for example. We know about Jonah and this whale. We know about Noah and this massive boat. But how do those fit? How do those come together? How, How is it that they all come together because they do? And tell a bigger and grander story. Um, here's the reality. This, is a, this book is, is a true story. It's a true story comprised of many, many stories that come together and tell one message. They tell one message. And um, although our story this morning, it, it's going to span thousands of years. For some of us, thousands of pages depending on how big your font is, um, it's okay. 
follow with me, and I'm going to warn you, I'm going to fly. I'm going to fly through this. This is important, though, uh, because it's going to set a stage for us as we talk about Advent. Um, this is important for us to have. This is our foundation. Um, I want to give you a bit of a disclaimer, though. This is a 30,000-foot view. I might leave out some of your favorite parts of this story. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, we would be here all day or more um, if I were to unpack every one of these in- incredible pieces to the story. But my hope is, is that we see the big picture. So you ready? Yes. Seatbelts fastened. Here we go. Our story starts with God. Surprise. <laughs> starts with God. With nothing but God. Right? Nothing but God. There was nothing. It was void. It was black. And God spoke. And out of nothing came everything. So out of nothing came everything. He created all things and he created it good. The Bible says he created it really good. So out of nothing, God created everything. It was good. It was designed to function perfectly together. It was meant to function perfectly like a, like a clock that is just beautifully fit together. Everything, all the cogs In unison, perfect. Like a symphony where everything just fits and it's beautiful. That's the way God created it. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. And it broke. It broke. Um, The man and woman that God created to be perfect, to function perfectly, uh, chose willingly to say no. And it's funny. They thought they knew a little bit better. Had a a bit of a better idea. Of what, they should, what life should look like. What a perfect life should look like. And they chose to go their own way. And they willfully stepped out against God's plan. Willfully stepped out. And all of a sudden that clock. Right? With all those perfectly working cogs. Eh, there was a little bit of a kink. All of a sudden that, that beautiful symphony. Now they're not even in tune with each other. And they don't have the same sheet music as the guy beside them has. And all of a sudden, the thing that meant to be beautiful is out of, out of sync. As a result of this, the man and the woman were sent out of God's presence, out of the perfect garden that God had designed for them. And this began this vicious downward spiral um, for humanity, for the world. A downward spiral that is interwoven into the fabric of our world. And so understand that in this moment, God had every right to just say, okay, done. It's over. It's done. But he didn't. Um, God had a better plan. In this book, if it's anything, is God revealing himself to us and revealing that really good plan to us as well. And so God has a better, a better plan. So our story continues though with mankind spiraling very quickly. Uh, if you pick up your Old Testament, you see just how quickly it spiraled. We have violence, sexual sin, pride, greed, lust, just Right there. Everything that flew directly in the face of what God had designed and laid out. Mankind walked away from that plan. Uh, Mankind was, was truly living into the brokenness. Being sinners by nature. And sinners by choice. Um, and it got so bad at one point. That there was literally... Not figurative. Literally one person left on the face of the earth that followed after God. 
that lived a righteous life. There's one. His name was Noah. God told Noah, go and find a, just build a big boat. Grab your family, grab two of every animal, get on, because I'm bringing the rain. And he did. He did. Uh, God was going to bring judgment on his people. He was going to, think of it like this, it was the hard restart on the computer. You know when you have that little wheel that won't stop turning and you get frustrated and push the button, you hold it down till it goes, pew. That's what this was. It was the hard reboot of the computer. It was the start over moment. But remember, there is a plan. And God had a plan. And that plan is perfect. And God was setting the stage for it. He continues. The plan continues. The story continues. Because he spared mankind by his grace and goodness. He spared mankind. Um, And the plan continued with a man named Abram. Now, Abram, God said, go, leave your home, go, and go where I'm going to tell you. I'm not even going to tell you where, just go. And, and Abram did it. He listened, he went. God promised him, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to multiply you, but not only that, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. The entire world is going to be blessed through you. God had a plan. He made a, co- a covenant with Abram, changed his name to Abraham, and things were looking good, Right? God had a plan and he was setting it into motion. He said, I'm going to bless the world, the undeserving world, through you. And everything went smooth, right, after that? No. The covenant continued through Abraham's children who weren't exactly faithful. But God was. God was. And God had a plan. Years later, uh, God's people... Right, the ones that he was going to bless the whole world through, found themselves in Egypt in slavery. That doesn't sound right, does it? That can't be God's plan. Found themselves in slavery in Egypt, and, and God called a man named Moses. Moses was a timid, self-doubting, a guy that basically said, words are hard, I can't speak. And God said, that's my man. God must have had a sense of humor because that's exactly what happened. Uh, Moses steps in. Maybe it was for no other reason but to say, this is my plan. I'm delivering my people. It's my goodness, not the goodness of my guy, right? Maybe that's God's message for us in that. But God chose Moses and through Moses delivers his people. And the children of Israel are free. And they're, now we're on track, right? They're free and they're following after their, their God. Um, through this, uh, God gave them, through Moses, God gave his people his law. Remember when, when, he, when we started, I said, God had to design. Well, the law is basically saying, here is a glimpse of my design. Here's the way I've called you to live as my people. Here it is. Here it is. And so the people are free. They have God's law, his intended design. Things are beautiful. We're walking in the right direction And uh, the problem was, though, they were still broken. At this point in time, the the people, God's people, began to grow. um, And they were ruled by judges. So if you get to that book in the Bible called Judges, what that means is God's people didn't have a king because God was supposed to be their king. Um, But they were ruled by judges, men like Samson, Gideon. They were ruled by these judges, and they were supposed to follow after God, live by his law. And as you read it, you see that there was constant war and turmoil. God was faithful, though. He had a plan. He was going to bless the world through his people. And the stage was being set perfectly. 
Finally, though, God's people got a little restless and they said, but we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. We want a king. So God listened. We have King Saul, King David, King Solomon. These men that we read their words in in the scripture. In fact, we're going to read in Psalms, King David's words. And king after king after king after king ruled their people. And king after king after king after king. It seems like, just like in the garden with the man and woman, they, they, they tended to have an idea that they think they knew better. And so king after king, we, we get this trajectory of, of they, we know better. We're searching after what the world has. We want to be like them. And king after king, they move further and further from God's intended design and plan. So much so that God's people, God's chosen people, split in two. There was no longer unity. There was a southern kingdom. There was a north. This can't be God's plan, right? This messiness, it splits into two. All the time, God lovingly sending prophets to say, turn back. Turn back to God. It's not too late. Repent. Come back. Here's the law. Come back. Come back. God had a plan. He used prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Uh, he used Hosea, Joel, Amos. All of those books in your Bible that you may not open as much as you should. Um, All of those prophets, God sending those prophets to his people with his message saying, just turn, just turn, repent, repent, warning after warning. God had a plan. But these prophets, that's not all they were saying. These prophets in the saying, turn back to God, but they were also yelling at the top of their lungs. There is a greater plan in motion. Prepare the way because our Messiah is coming. He is going to make all of this right, all of this mess, it's all going to be made right. The Messiah is coming. Prepare the way. He is coming. Prophet after prophet, just yelling. You look, you look at prophets like Isaiah. Just, the Messiah is coming. Be ready. Get ready. But time after time, um, the people rejected this message. Time after time, they rejected it. Uh, God's people, again, thinking, but they know better. Um, the unthinkable happens. I, I still don't know what I would have done in this if I was alive during this time. But God's people, uh, through whom God was going to send his Savior, through, through whom he was going to bless the whole world. God's people were conquered, defeated, and sent into captivity. How? How could that possibly be God's plan. We have in, in 720 BC, so roughly 720 years before Jesus came, um, the northern kingdom falls. Assyria takes out the northern kingdom. Well, we have the southern. Remember I said they split? Well, in 586, roughly 586 years before Jesus comes, conquered. And all of a sudden, God's people are conquered. This could, Things look bleak. All the time, prophets are yelling still, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, don't worry, it's all going to be made right, don't worry, turn back to God, the Messiah is coming. It was as though the entire world, all of creation was longing for this moment when things will finally be made right. It was as bleak as bleak could get. If you were watching a movie, this would be that climax of the movie where it is just bad. And you're waiting for the turnaround, right? That is this moment. And here's what happens. You ready? 
hear that? Deafening silence. Excruciating, agonizing silence. 500 years of it. 500 years of deafening, excruciating, painful silence. God did not send any more prophets. God did not send any more messengers. Silent. God went silent. When all the world was waiting and groaning, um, silent. Um, If you look at your Bible, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. The first book of the New Testament is Matthew. There's normally a white page that separates those two. Let that page represent 500 years. 500 painful, long, quiet years where you're wondering, God, um, did you forget? Have you forgotten what you told us? What you were screaming at us for thousands of years? Have you forgotten your promises? Absolute silence. All of history had point up had led to this point, had led up to the Messiah, the climax of the movie, and it's silence. The entire Old Testament pointed to this moment. It all pointed here. And here God's people are, sitting in a 500-year waiting room. God had a plan, right? He was going to use his people to bless the entire world. God had a plan, In silence. Church, what do you do in silence? What do you do in those moments of waiting? What do you do when you feel like God has absolutely abandoned you? What do you do do when you know the things that he's promised you, but yet you look around and everything is just quiet? And it doesn't feel like God is coming through. It doesn't feel like God is speaking. You, you, You beg, God, please hear me. Don't Are you there? Can I get an answer? Can I get a sign? Just show me something. What do you do when there's silence? And the question in the silence is is really simple. The silence kind of forces us to answer this question. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Trust him. Do you trust that God is actually going to do what he said? Even when there's no evidence in your situation that he is hearing you. Do you trust him? Uh, here's the reality. As before we get into our text, there are two types of people in the room. There is, maybe you're here and you are in this season right now. Where you are here and there is something that is looming. You've been praying for an answer and you've gotten nothing. It's silent. It's deafening silence. That's you. Maybe you're here right now in that place. Others of you, you're going to be. This is a season that we go through as followers of Jesus. Um, This morning, we're going to talk about how to wait well. How do we wait well? And right off the bat, I, I need to say this because some of you, I believe this is the reason you're here to hear this. Um, silence does not mean absence. Silence does not mean absence. Um, Often, 
those moments when you're sitting in the waiting room, those are the moments that God teaches you even more how to trust him. Often those moments of waiting are God ordained in your life. Silence does not mean absence. And so the question I want us to ask this morning is how do we wait well? How do we wait well? Uh, Grab your Bibles, Psalm 13. By the way, thank you for staying with me. It was a long ride, but we are here, all right? Let's open up Psalm 13. Uh, How many of you journal, by the way? A few of you? Um, If you don't, you should. It's a different sermon, but you should. It's, It's been something God has used in my life to just... It just makes me more aware of him moving in my life is what it does. But um, that's a different message. Uh, But as we read this chapter in Psalm, this reads a lot like David's journal. This, This feels, this sounds like a journal entry from David. It's raw. It's honest. Let's look at it. Let's look at the first part. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Do you hear the honesty in this? Do you see the honesty in in this? Um, Sometimes, by the way, I feel like too often we think we need to clean up ourselves and calm down before we come to God. Like we need to kind of present a PG version of ourselves when we pray, right? Um, be calm and cool when we... But as, you, as I read my Bible, as I read the Psalms, as I read the prayers of the Bible, I, I realize something. Church, God can handle your honesty. God can handle it. God can handle your honesty. Listen to the honesty, the raw, the pain, the... Uh, The emotion, I mean, David is accusing God of ignoring him. David is accusing God of hiding his face from him in the moment of immense pain. This is David just being raw and saying, here's the way this feels. That's that's what we're reading here. It's raw, it's it's honest, and God can handle that. Uh, David continues, he says, consider and answer me Or answer me, O Lord, my God, lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David's continuing his plea with God to end this silence. Show up, God. And and he's reminding God of what's going to happen if he doesn't. It's like, if you don't show up, God, I'm going to die. My enemies are going to win. They're going to be happy. They're going to rejoice. And I'm supposed to be your person. What's going on? You need to show up, God. You've got to show up. I don't know if you've done that before. Just reminding God, hey, if you don't show up, you know what's going to happen, right? That's what David is doing here in this moment. Uh, But David is desperate, yet God is silent. David is absolutely desperate, and, and God is absolutely silent. And so as we look at the final portion of this, of this chapter, um, remember, David is still desperate, and God is still silent. Yet David says this, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. 
My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So how do we wait well when we're desperate and God is silent? How do we hold on when we can't hear? How do we keep our trust when we, when we cannot see? How do we do it? David's words, he says, I have trusted in what? In your steadfast love. Meaning, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I do not know, no matter what I do not see, no matter what I do not understand, no matter what I don't see, I know that God loves me. I know that God loves me. In other words, I know God loves me even when I know nothing else. David had no idea how this was going to end, but he knew God's love. He knew God's steadfast love for him. So the first thing we need to see here is this. How do we wait well? Don't let what you don't know take away from what you do know. And that is this. You are loved by God. In uncertainty, when you know nothing else, you are loved by God. He's told you repeatedly through his word, And he has proven it repeatedly through his work. You are loved by God. His love is steadfast. He loves you. And you can know and trust this, that no matter what you go through, no matter what you're currently facing, I can't give you answers to all the situations that you may be in right now. But what I can say and what you can stand on is that you are loved by God. Even when you know nothing else, you know that God loves you. And because of that, in the midst of the trouble, David says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. And he doesn't end there. Because what happens when you truly trust that God loves you? He says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Now, um, David is looking to the fact that he will soon rejoice in the salvation. Don't miss this. The salvation isn't here yet. Salvation's not here. He's thinking, I'm going to rejoice in your salvation. He is confident in a future salvation because when you truly know that God loves us perfectly, you can truly celebrate our deliverance before it's arrived. And that's where David is. And so the second thing we see here is that knowing God's love for us will lead to confidence in us. Knowing God's love for us will lead to confidence in us. Confidence that God will come through. That God will make good on his word. That God loves us. And and David, who's just sitting in the waiting room as we've been talking about, um, is rejoicing in the salvation that he knows is coming. Uh, I will never forget, there was a moment, it was several years ago, and it was a couple in our church. One of the most painful experiences I've actually gone through with with people. Um, They had lost a baby, very young. Um, They got pregnant again, and... um, when they gave birth to this little girl, she was born uh, with so many health issues. It was, um, it was unlikely that she was going to live, but she did. And, and she lived for, for I want to say, a year. It was a little over a year. Um, she was being kept alive by doctors. And um, the, the end of her life was spent primarily in a in a hospital room where the family was gathered around and and this baby was hooked up into this contraption and um, to see the pain 
of, of this family going through. I'll never forget, though, because they, they, would, they called um, our church and wanted one of our worship pastors to go to their room, bring a guitar, and to start just singing in the room. I looked at, I saw that, and I just, <laughs> they didn't know what was going to happen. They had no idea what was going to happen. But they rejoiced in the deliverance that was going to come, whether by healing or ultimate deliverance. And they, this family just had the ability to realize that, that God loves us. And we stand on this. We stand. And we can stand in the fact that God will deliver us even before he has done it. There's something that is universally true in this room. If you are a child of God, if you are a child by God, of God, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. God loves you. And in those moments when you're waiting for things to come together in the waiting room, you can rejoice in God's love and you can be confident that he has not forgotten you. David is not done. He says, I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. Uh, going back to that couple in the in their, their room with their daughter. In those times when I'm in the waiting room and uh, I don't know answers and things are difficult, let me be honest, the last thing I... To sing? To sing in those moments? Uh, David says, but I will sing to the Lord. The last thing I want to do is to get away and start singing and have a good old worship service in those moments. But that's exactly what David does, and that's exactly what I witness this family uh, doing. And the reason I bring this up, this is not churchy language. I think if you've been in church for a while, you, you get kind of churchified to where language like this is like, oh, praise him, good. This is real life. In real life situations, through moments when you don't know if you're going to live, which is David's moment here, this is real life. As you're walking through this life, he says, but I will sing to the Lord because, listen, to, this is powerful. He says, I will sing, meaning I'm going to, I'm going to keep singing. This is a current and future. I'm going to keep singing because he has dealt bountifully with me. Meaning, God's faithfulness yesterday fuels our worship today. If you want to wait well, we want to wait well. God's faithfulness yesterday fuels our worship today. God's past goodness inspires my present and future worship. Um, in those moments when it is painful to sing, we look back on God's faithfulness and what he has done. In the trenches of life, we can sing because singing both expresses and increases our joy in Christ. In those trenches, in those moments when we don't have answers, sometimes singing and worship, it both expresses our joy in Christ, and at the same time, it 
increases our joy in Christ. That family that, that I'm talking about, I will never, ever, ever forget the memorial service for that little baby. We were singing uh, a song, Jesus Paid It All. It was their favorite, the family's favorite. They would play it on repeat in the, in the room, and we were singing that, that song. And I will never forget that, that service, looking down and seeing mom and dad, the family, with their hands just high and just singing with everything they had. <laughs> I'll never forget that moment because they will sing to the Lord because he had dealt bountifully with them. And they just exemplified and it was. David was in a tough spot in this text. He was waiting on God to show up. He was waiting on God to save him from this terrible spot where his life was in jeopardy. And he says, I know you love me. I know that you will save me and I will rejoice in that and I will sing because you are good. I will sing because you are good. Um, You rest in knowing that the God of the universe loves you. And because, listen, if God is for you, if God loves you and if God is for you, which is what we've said, if you're a child of God, God loves you. And if that is true, and it is, who can stand against you? Who can stand against you? Which means in the trenches, when things don't make sense, you know that God loves you and you're not, you're not forgotten. And you can sit in the waiting room with, with confidence. Um, in January, as a church, we are going to look at the book of Job together. We're going to start a series on Job. And we're going to walk through this amazing and painful and beautiful book. And, and as we do, uh, what we're going to see very quick is life doesn't always make sense. Life does not make sense sometimes. Um, Our journey is going to be difficult at times. Um, But what we're going to see, especially through the series, is that through Christ we can journey through anything that we face with with confidence as we know that we are loved by God. Um, For those of you who are in a tough season right now, For those of you who are here and you're in a season of waiting, you're in a season where you really want God to just show up and talk. Just knock me on my back, audible if it needs to be. Speak. If you're in that season, a tough season, and you're pleading with God to come through to fix things, um, I don't want you to hear me wrong this morning. Um, This is not easy. And I am not trying to present this in a churchy way that all you need to do is sing and things are going to be awesome. Life is so difficult. And the beauty of this is that it's real in the difficulty. This is not an alternate world that we put on our mask and sing. No, life is hard. This is not easy. It's not easy to be in a moment where you feel like God's not bringing resolution and he could. It's not easy to be in that moment. All I'm saying this morning, though, is that you are loved. And there is a reason for hope and confidence. You are loved. And no matter where you are or what you face, no matter if you are Job himself, you have every reason to be confident in your God.
because you are loved. And we can wait well when we, when we know this. And we, we began our time together with this 30,000-foot view of our story where the whole room is sitting in, or the whole world is sitting in the waiting room. God, when, when are you going to make, make this right? When are you going to speak? When are you going to show up? When are you going to fix this? When are you going to make good on your promises? When it, have you forgotten us? Church, the silence was broken. The silence was broken. This time of year um, is our celebration of broken silence. This time of year is our celebration of broken silence. The moments when silence was defeated by this crying baby. That silence was no more. And here's, here's, this is a season of incredible hope because this is a season, season that God reminds us of his great plan. I said that this has one plot line, right? Um, Jesus Christ is the plan. Jesus Christ is the plan. He is the one to whom the Old Testament points. He is the one to whom the New Testament stands and points back to. He is the one. It's about Christ. And so here's what I want. Here's the application. And this may be weird. It's okay. Um, If you're here, and and like I said, you're in a season where this is difficult right now. Um, And like I said, if you're not there... it might come. But if you're here in that place, um, we're about to enter a season where we're going to start seeing a lot of the nativity scene. Right? We're going to see Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and the animals and the shepherds and the wise men and angel. And we're going to start seeing this a lot. Um, the nativity scene is the greatest reminder in the world that God will make good on his word. Um, that God is good. That God is trustworthy. That silence does not mean absence. Um, and so for those of you in a waiting room this season, every time you see that nativity scene, every time, whether it be on a mantle and it's small or elaborate, or you're driving by it, whenever you see the nativity scene this season, every time, let it be a grand and beautiful reminder to you that God has not forgotten you. That God has not forgotten you. That he will save you. That he loves you. And in the meantime, we can trust. We can sing. We can go ahead and, as David says, rejoice in what you know is coming. Um, for those of you who are in that season of waiting, every time, I don't know if you like Christmas music or not. But every time you hear a Christmas carol this season, let that be a grand reminder that God has not forgotten you and not left you in the waiting room. That silence has been broken. And for the next three weeks, that's really what we get to talk about. We get to talk about broken silence. We get to talk about life after that blank page in your Bible between the Old and the New Testament. Life after. We get to talk about broken silence. In a couple moments, we're going to take communion. Let that be a visual representation of broken silence. That he has not forgotten you. That he came and he will come again. Because silence 
does not mean absence. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you um, that you are faithful. I thank you that you have not left us, you have not abandoned us, that you, no matter what we face, no matter what we are going through, that you are a faithful God. And we thank you that we can stand on the fact that we are loved by you. God, as we look at a familiar story, the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus Christ, as we, as we look at this story, I, I pray that it just triggers in our mind that we are not alone, that we are not forgotten, that we are loved by you. God, as you sent your son into this world, that was the greatest symbol of your love for us. God, we rejoice in that you have a plan, you have a purpose. And even when we sit in in the waiting room and we don't see it, we know it's there. And we know that you come through in your word. And God, I pray that you give us the ability to trust you more, to love you more. Yeah, we are loved in the waiting room. And we rejoice that you have not left us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.